All right, if you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 9. But I'm just going to start reading in verse 6, chapter 9. You can go ahead and start flipping there because we're going to be there all morning. Verse 6 says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning as broken people. God, we acknowledge that there is so much in this world that is beyond our control. And God, there is so much beyond our understanding. So Lord, we just pray that you would, this morning, give us just a little truth, God, just a little knowledge, God, just a little wisdom, that, God, you'd be working through your word to teach us, God, to train us. Lord, I pray that you would destroy anything that I am bringing to this talk, God, this morning, that you would just wipe it out, that, God, instead this would be completely your word. God, I pray that you'd use the folly of this preaching, God, to share your gospel. Lord, we pray this all in accordance with your will. Amen. Well, my name is Jacob Smith. I've been around for a little bit this summer. I've been out of town a lot, but I am slowly being welcomed into college ministry here at Anderson. I'm going to be the new teacher uh, starting full-time in the fall, but kind of right now in the summer. Uh, So if you see me around, I'm not just some like weird guy that's tall, that wears mics. Like, I'm, I'm the teacher guy. Like, it's okay. I'm allowed to be here most of the time. And so uh, I'm so excited, though. I'm so excited to be with you guys. I'm so excited to be kind of transitioning into this. I've been doing youth ministry for the past five years, so college is awesome. Uh, a lot less punching in the stomach, I think, right? Uh, but uh, I'm so glad to be here this morning. I'm so glad that we can talk uh, about a little bit of uh, my life. I'm, I've recently entered into a new phase of my life that I just kind of want to share, just get it all out there. Uh, it's, it's a new phase, it's a new kind of time period, dispensation of my life, uh, where I have now entered into the club of people that have tried to sell something on Craigslist. Uh, and I should just warn you, if you're not there yet, uh, it's a very dark phase, right? Very, very dark. Uh, a few weeks ago, I started trying to sell some headphones so I listed them up, put them some pics. I was like, oh, this would be great. You know, I'll just sell some headphones. It'd be great. I use the money for something else. Uh, but the first like five offers I got, I received, uh, were all just like completely like transparent scams where people are like, oh, I kind of like those headphones. What's your social security number and bank information? I'm like, oh, okay. Right, and that was like five, like in a row. Uh, until my sixth offer uh, was a guy who was not a scammer, thankfully, uh, but he was probably my favorite person I don't know what he looks like, what his name is, but by golly, if I ever meet him, I will love him because he texted me this awesome conversation that I'm just going to put up here in, in full disclosure. So he, he starts off by asking me, hey, would you trade? And I said, for what? 
And he says, football autographs or cards? I said, which ones? It doesn't matter. <laughs> then no thanks. Which I wouldn't probably have traded anyway because I don't know any football stuff. But it doesn't matter. He's pretty eerie. I, I don't want to run into him, into him in a dark alley. But I do want to see him shake his hand. Uh, but we uh, had this kind of going on. I had you know, these offers pouring in and uh, just was starting to give up hope until finally, about a week ago, I had this normal person contact me. I said, hey, I'm really interested in your headphones. Uh, would you be willing to drop your price a little bit? And I said, sure, yeah. What, what, you know, what are you thinking about offering? Because people have to haggle for some reason. Uh, and he gave me an offer that was about one-fourth of my asking price. So I was like, okay, that's pretty low. And so we haggled back and forth through email until we finally got to where he was offering $10 less than what I was asking. Okay. I'd lowered my price. He had risen or risen his, and then we raised it and we were right here. Okay. Just $10 apart. And at this moment, man, I was just, I was conflicted because I was like, I want to make the sale, but by golly, he just keeps bringing me lower and lower and lower. And so I kind of turned to my wife, Susan, for advice. I said, Susan, I just, I kind of want to just give in. I kind of want to just be the nice guy. I, I figure this is some young dude looking for a good deal on headphones. I can't fault him for that, right? That's every guy's dream, just to get a good deal on some headphones, right? So I said, Susan, I kind of just want to lower myself down and just, just give it to him for that lower price. And my loving, gracious, reasonable wife just looked me dead in the eye and goes, uh, no. <laughs> Because she was being very reasonable, right? Because she thought, no, like, you've already lowered your price a lot. Justice demands that he would raise up to yours, right? That's the way the world works, right? You earn what you get, right? You have a wage and you paid it. And when someone charges the price, you pay it, right? And so she says, no, no, no. Justice calls for you to stick to your guns, which I did, and I didn't make the sale. But stick to my guns, and not lower my price anymore. But even as she was saying that, something within me, I thought, oh, gosh, like, I want to... I just, I want to be like the nice guy, right? I just want to be like, hey, it's all right, man, right? I'm giving thumbs up, hit a jukebox or something, right? I want to be that cool guy that just kind of lowered it because it, something within me wanted to just give him something that he didn't even deserve, right? I wanted to extend grace to him, right? Unmerited favor. I wanted to give him undeserved grace. Just, oh, here you go, buddy, right? At least he didn't try to sell me football cards or whatever, right? Like, I wanted to do that for him. And there was this conflict, there was this tension between justice and grace. And the truth is, a lot of times we find ourselves in that tension all throughout life, right? A lot of times, uh, the way it pops up is that we really, really love justice for that guy, but we really, really love grace for ourselves, right? I remember being in class at A&M, and someone would walk in, right, like 20 minutes late to like the 50-minute class. And they've got like a, you know, Starbucks, frappy, chappy, cappy. And they're, you know, walking in, just kind of sauntering and sit. And in my mind, I always thought like, ooh, like justice should be swift, right? Like I wanted the prof to like say something or, you know, everyone to be like, boo, right? Something, or, uh, sorry, A&M. And, and everyone's like, ah, oh, you know. And I wanted that justice to be there. But uh, my freshman year, when I wound up sleeping through a test, uh, you know, I went to my prof's office just singing, amazing grace, hello. You know, like I wanted them to take it easy on me, right? Because I, it was a mistake. I slept through my test. Sorry, can I make it up? Right, I wanted that grace for myself. So suddenly we find ourselves with this conflict between justice and grace. We, we see some public figure have an affair. Or we see someone, you know, like a rapper or somebody, like, do something wrong. Or, by golly, William and Kate had the wrong gendered baby, right? Or, like, we see him do something that we don't like. 
And so we say, no, like there should be justice. Like that person shouldn't be in office. That person shouldn't be famous. That person shouldn't be able to do that or this. They should be punished. But yet when I struggle with pride or my friend struggles with lust or we have selfishness or, or when I see something like that happen in my family, man, I want there to be grace. Right? I want forgiveness. I want, I want them to get what they don't deserve. We find ourselves torn between justice and grace, and we just need to know which to pick. There were a lot of Jewish Israelite believers, but there were more and more and more Gentiles coming in every day. More and more and more non-Jews. So as they were sitting in the church, as they'd go to their services and hang out with their friends, they're like, hey, there's like way more Gentiles now than there are Israelites. There's way more Gentiles than there are Jews. So what do we do about this? Like, do the Jews, like, are they still like the, like, alpha members of the church? Like, are they like the super Christians? Like, what do we, what do we do about this situation? And so Paul's telling them, look, this is what's going on. He explains to them, this is what's happening within the church right now. Because all these people were confused and they're thinking, why has God abandoned his people? Why do we know all of these Jews who aren't believers, who have not accepted Christ? Why are they out there? Has God, where, where's the justice, right? God promised to work with Israel, but, but he's, it looks like he's abandoning them. What is going on? And so Paul says in verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. He's saying God has not failed his people. And he explains, he says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Paul's making a crucial distinction right here. He says, look, there's a huge difference between a physical Jew, a physical Israelite, and a spiritual one. There's a physical Israel, but there's a spiritual Israel. And he says there's a huge difference. He says, this is an idea that he uh, started off with in Romans chapter two, earlier in his letter. He says, for no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And this is an idea, this is a concept that we see a lot here in College Station. Uh, when we look out uh, at Texas A&M University, I was there for four years, I get it. There are physical Aggies, right? And then there are spiritual Aggies, right? There's Aggies and then there's Aggies, right? <laughs> Personally, I was a physical Aggie. Uh, by that I mean I, I went to class, right? I did my duty. I said howdy every once in a while, right? I, I went to the football games. So I got my sports pass. Freshman year, I even got the all sports pass. I went to one soccer game. What up, right? But I, I use these things. Right? I go to the games. I got a ring, right? I still wear it. I walked across the stage. I'm an Aggie, right? Through and through, I am an Aggie. But there's another breed, right? Some of which might be in this room right now, right? We've got these spiritual Aggies who howdy, everyone, right? Ah! And almost, I, I'm convinced, I had some friends who they would just say that all the time just so that they would run into people that wouldn't howdy them back and they'd be like, oh, two percenter. 
right? And they just get mad. And they're like, oh. They just love that. They love calling people two percenters, right? We have these spiritual Aggies who every year, I knew a guy in college, every year he'd have a different profile pic with Lofton, right? That cool little bow tie. They'd be like posing that first yell or whatever. You know, every stinking year, his profile pic was always with President Lofton, right? This awesome spiritual Aggie man, right? These, these spiritual Aggies, they get choked up. Right, they just they get overwhelmed with emotion when they're talking about Johnny football. And they're just like, I, I'm just so proud of him. Right? I'm so proud he used to play at that one place in Texas, but now he plays here. And I'm just, I know he made some mistakes on Twitter, but it's all right. You know? He's my kid. I can't abandon him. Right? And everyone just gets so proud. And, and these people, these spiritual Aggies, they grow up. When they graduate A&M, they're not done. Right? Because you can go to Tex-Ags. And they pay for like the super Tex-Ags Tex-Ag subscription for the rest of their lives. And they just get on the message boards. And they get choked up while typing about Johnny Football. I just love them. I'm, I'm old, but I love them. Right? And that's, that's what we do. That's the spiritual Aggie. When we look out, we see that distinction. We see that difference. And Paul is saying it is no different within Israel. He says, when we look out at Israel now, and this holds true for us today, when I look at Israel, when I look at the nation, the physical geographical nation of Israel, not all of those people are part of God's chosen people, of his chosen Israel. There are Jews who reject Christ. And let me just tell you right now, in case you haven't picked up on this, if you reject Christ, you're not God's child. So when we look at the nation of Israel, when Paul is telling them to look at the nation of Israel, he's saying, there's a difference. There's a huge difference between the physical Israel and the spiritual. He says, and that whole difference hinges on one thing, right? He says it hinges on a promise. And he explains what that promise is. In verse 9, he says, this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. That's it. That's what Paul gives us, right? Because in our minds, when he said there was a promise, a lot of us think about like, oh yeah, the covenants, like God came down and he split a goat and he said, Abraham, I will use you in this, right? And he's got all these cool promises. Paul says, no, you know what? I can really boil it down to this right here. This one quote from God about this time next year, I'm going to return and Sarah's going to have a son. Boom. Huge promise. This is what we all hinge on. And this would confuse his audience, right? They're like, mm, I, mm, I think there's bigger promises. And Paul says, no, this is it. This is the distinction. Because if you know your history, you know that Abraham already had a son. When God told Abraham, look, I'm going to work through you and your descendants. Abraham was like, cool. And God was like, I'm going to use it through you and your wife, Sarah. And Abraham goes, no, don't worry. I'll just have a kid with Hagar over here. And God's like, all right. And so Abraham goes, has a kid with Hagar, Ishmael. Ishmael's a great, strapping young man, right? He's a really cool dude. But God says, you know what? Ishmael's not your line. That's not who I chose to work through. So Abraham says, oh, sorry. And so he takes Hagar and Ishmael and just like throws them out into the desert and goes, see ya. And then God goes to him and doesn't completely give up on him. It's really nice of God. Uh, but in that moment, we see God says, look, you tried, right? You, it's not just this like mystical, like whoever comes from you, Abraham, will be your, your descendant. No, I have a purpose. I have a plan. I have a specific person from Sarah. I have a specific son that I'm going to work through. And it's through Isaac that your descendants will be known. It's through Isaac that I'm going to raise up my people. Not through Ishmael. 
Suddenly we see Paul starts off, this is the first of three huge historical examples that he puts up right next to each other to show the people in Rome. He says, look, God has always chosen certain people. That's how God has always operated in his sovereignty, in his authority over all things. He has always chosen one group to work through, a very specific group. And it's God always choosing. It's not like someone does something really awesome and they prove themselves to be great. And so God says, I'm going to use you, right? No, instead, God says, I'm going to use this person. I don't care what they said. I don't care what they did. I'm using this person. I'm using this group. Paul illustrates it with Isaac. He also then says, and not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Paul's saying, look, as soon as we saw this whole Isaac thing go down, when Isaac got older, got married, his wife got pregnant, God told Rebecca, he says, look, I know you're about to have twins. You're having two sons. And even though they're not even born, even though neither of them have done anything, either good or bad, right? Neither of them has ever proven themselves to be loyal or faithful or anything like that. I'm choosing the younger one. I'm choosing Jacob. That's why he says, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I've hated. Not saying like God hated Esau, right? That's not what he means, like an like a, like a emotional hatred. Esau was a great guy. Esau probably was a follower of God. When Jacob wronged Esau a lot and like went off for years and came back and was afraid that Esau was going to kill him because Jacob had done really, really mean stuff to Esau, he was afraid Esau was going to come out and kill him. Instead, Esau runs out to Jacob and hugs him. And when Jacob sees him, he says, oh my gosh, Esau, I, when I look at you, I see the face of God. You have the appearance of the face of God. And Jacob can say that because the night before he was wrestling with God. Esau was a great guy. Esau was a solid dude. Jacob was a jerk, liar, cheater, thief. But God said, I'm going to work through Jacob. God said that before they were even born. God chose Jacob over Esau. That hatred doesn't mean that he emotionally hated him. It just means that he passed him over, that he did not choose him. And if that wasn't evidence enough, Paul keeps going. He says, what then shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? He says, no, by no means. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. Paul closes out with one more big example from Israel's history. He says, hey, remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh, hey, let the Israelites go. God is telling me to tell you, let Israel go. What's interesting is when you read that in Exodus, you'll see that sometimes Pharaoh, it says that the Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so he says, no, I will not let them go, right? And he, he, just because he hardens himself. But you'll also notice in Exodus, sometimes God, it says that the Lord, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is what Paul's referring to. He says, look, Pharaoh was responsible for what had happened. 
right? He had chosen to harden his own heart at times. But within that, God is still in authority. God is still sovereign. So within that time, God even moved in Pharaoh's heart and hardened it. Why? So that God's power could be known, so that his name could be proclaimed in all the earth. What we see is over and over and over again, God is choosing one people. He says, I'm going to use Moses. I'm going to use Israel. And you know what, Pharaoh, all of your Egyptians, your huge army, I'm just going to drown you because I choose this group. I mean, this is a tough issue. This is a tough concept. Even as we're reading this, a lot of times people, they just, they get fired up, right? This is why a lot of believers, they're like, no, like, no. Non-believers I've talked to are like, I can't deal with that. I had a philosophy minor in, at A&M. And whenever this would come up, whenever the idea of evil or the idea of like predestination would come up, all of these people in my philosophy classes would always say, that, is, that makes no sense. They say that it's not, if God is supposed to be fair and just, that is not just. That is not fair that God can choose certain people to go to heaven and so other people to not. They're just to just go over them. They say, that's double predestination. God is saying that I choose you to go to heaven, I choose you to go to hell. Because by the act of passing over this person, he's condemned them. He says, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not just. And they just don't understand. And let me just be honest with you right now. I don't fully understand this. I don't think we can. We can't come to just this full, awesome, like wrap it up in a bow, tie it up. Yeah, that's not possible. But Paul does give us a response. He does respond to this problem that we all naturally have whenever this issue comes up. He keeps going in verse 19, and he says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Paul gives us a clear answer to our problem. How can this happen? How can God do that? How is that just? How can we, how do I understand this? How do I wrap my mind around this? And Paul says, you can't understand it. He says, this is a decision you can't fully understand. We're the level of a, a clay pot compared to a human potter. Right? He says that you can't even, there's no way to bridge that gap. He says, we cannot fully understand this decision, but we can fully trust it. We just trust. We trust that God is good. We trust that God has a plan. We trust God primarily because he's called us. Because God has moved in our lives. Because we see this perspective, rather than, it's not just God grabbing random innocent people and throwing them off to hell, right? Instead, what we see, what Paul's perspective is that God is moving and he's intentionally selecting certain 
people, certain groups. And when he selects them, he's finding them in the midst of open rebellion. These aren't innocent people. These are enemies of God. Paul is clear over and over again. We were all enemies of God. We all hated God. We're all children of wrath. But yet God, being rich in mercy, moved in, found an enemy, brought him in. That's what God has done. He's selected enemies and he's brought them into salvation. That's why he tells us that what's so amazing in Romans 5, 8 is that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians, look, you have been saved by grace through faith. He says there's grace involved. This is a gift. It's not your works. You can't boast about it. This is a gift of God, your salvation. It's a gift given to you. Paul says, we have been selected and we should be grateful. God is demonstrating his justice when he allows people to continue in their rebellion. That is just. What is fair is that we would all be condemned. God is just in allowing that, but he demonstrates grace by moving in the hearts of others. My Craigslist buddy and me, man, we were right there. Ten bucks, right? So close. But we weren't. He couldn't make it. And all of us have not reached that glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory. We're all right there or right there, right? Like, it's not even that close. It's really far. But we've all missed it. We've all missed perfection. So what Paul says is that what is just is that God looks at that and he says, you get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. I'm going to pay you your wages of death. But to others, he says, I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to send my son to die for you as a substitute for your wage. He's going to take on your wages so I can show you grace. And when we see that, that should change our lives. It should change our perspectives. What do we do with this knowledge? What's the purpose that we've been prepared for? When we really understand what God has done, when we see the fact that he has been gracious, what do we do? I think we can really feel two main things. Yeah, there, there should be two kind of feelings, sensations, overwhelming ideas that are pressing in on us when we really grasp this concept. One is that we should feel blessed, and the other is that we should feel so burdened. But we should feel so blessed right, because God has moved in and he has saved me. We should be thankful to God that he has given us our salvation. We should be thankful to God that there is, we can see his grace throughout the entire world. Uh, this is something we don't really talk about a lot, but there is this idea of common grace, meaning that God, when he has moved into the world, he doesn't just give grace to some people. Like He gives salvation, right? Salvation, saving grace to only some. But there is a common grace grace. That's what Christ talks about in Matthew 5. He's talking to his disciples and he says, you know what? God, he makes it rain on the just and on the unjust. He says there's going to be benefits, there's going to be advantages to everyone in this world. One of the best ways I think of it is God has given us puppies, right? And everyone loves puppies. Even really evil people love puppies, right? Puppies like this. Aww. <laughs> right? It's trying to eat a bone, but that bone's too big, right? And so God has given us things like puppies. Anything that is good in this world that we look out and we're like, wow, this is a beautiful day outside, or wow, it rained and now we can all eat, right? Or, oh, there's a cool puppy trying to smoke a bone, right? When we see these things, 
That is common grace, and we should be grateful. We should thank God every day. Lord, thank you for this grace that is prevalent over the entire world. God, thank you for that. Thank you that things are not as horrible as they possibly could be for all of these sinners, for this fallen, broken world. God, thank you for this common grace. And in the midst of that blessing, in the midst of that thankfulness, we should feel so burdened, so burdened by this knowledge. There should be a weight pressing on us day and night. I covered this in uh, one of my seminary classes a little while ago. And as soon as we were talking about this predestination, this idea, and how some are passed over, we were going through Romans 9. As we were talking about God passing over Esau, uh, the guy, one of my class friends, I was sitting right next to a guy named Aaron. Uh, he just raised his hand. He says, look, he says, if my son is passed over for salvation, he had a three-year-old kid at the time. He said, if my son is passed over for salvation, he says, I, I will not be encouraged by the fact that I'm saved and he's not. So that will in no way encourage me. It was this heavy moment where suddenly people started raising their hands and they were just sharing experiences of their loved ones who weren't believers, of their parents who went to the grave rejecting Christ. People were getting emotional and talking and crying and they just, there was this outpouring of grief because when we really understand this truth, when we start to grasp the fact that God has given grace to some, we should be burdened. We should realize the weight of that. We should be asking ourselves, what am I going to do about my parents? My brother, who's rejected Christ. What am I going to do about my friend, my lab partner, who's a Muslim? What about them? What's my response? And when we realize that, Paul gives us the best possible response. The beginning of this chapter, we skipped over it, but at the very beginning of this chapter, he leads off. Verse 1, chapter 9. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. He says, I'm not lying. He says, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. In other words, listen up, this is super true. Verse 2, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was a Jew. And Paul starts off chapter 9 saying, if I could, I wish I could take all of their places in hell. I wish that I could be cut off from Christ so that they might be saved. This is the same spirit that led Paul to write, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, I'm a hard press between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul was a man who was willing to remain out of heaven for the sake of the believers and willing to go to hell for the non-believers. That was his heartbeat. That was his passion. Can you imagine if that was our mindset? If that was our perspective? Can you imagine what our world would look like if that was our attitude? If we loved grace that much, 
Because Paul saw God's justice. And there's a time for justice. There needs to be justice in this world. But when Paul saw that justice, in light of justice, he loved grace. And we should do the same. In light of the justice that we see, we should love grace. We should err on the side of grace as much as possible. We have seen justice, so we seek grace. We want to choose grace as much as we possibly can because we see justice and we see that we never benefit from it because we're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all running away from God. Justice is not kind to us. So we love grace. What would A&M look like if we all loved grace? What would our city look like? What would this nation look like if all believers loved grace? If we really saw ourselves as children of sovereign grace, products of grace, when we realize that we live by grace, so we should live with grace, right? We should live with grace, extending grace to others. If I live because of grace, I should be living by grace. Last thing is, I was driving uh, back from Dallas a few weeks ago, driving down uh, 45, and I was you know, just driving down the highway, listening to some tunes, and the car right in front of me uh, kind of hit this little thing in the road, didn't really think anything of it, until about a minute later, uh, his tire uh, just exploded, just, just blew out. And so he just starts like swerving. There was this big 18-wheeler right next to him. And I was really concerned. I thought I was possibly going to die in that moment because uh, we're all cruising like 80 miles an hour. And so he hits this tire and he's, you know, just, and he's like going. He kind of swerves off to the side. The 18-wheeler kind of swerves out of the way. And I kind of swerve to avoid all that stuff. And I see this guy just kind of run over into the side of the road. Uh, and so I thought, I've got to stop. And so I, I just stop. I pull over. I get out of my car, run back. I make sure he's okay. Uh, it's just this, this dad who was helping his daughter uh, move apartments up in Dallas. He was going back to Houston. It's really rattled. Uh, didn't really know what had happened. And so I just, I stopped there and, and we kind of talked for a little bit. And then we decided, okay, let's, let's try to get this tire back on. Let's get you a spare. And so we, we're working on his car and we work. And I was there for like a couple hours. Uh, and we never got to work, unfortunately. But in that moment, uh, what was so great was that at one point, the guy, he asked me, he said, he's like, gosh, he's like, thanks so much for stopping. He's like, I have a cell phone. You know, I was able to call. He's like, but he's like, I just, people don't really stop anymore because they sort of assume I guess you're all right or something. It's like, thanks so much. I was like, yeah. I was like, hey, no problem. And, and in that moment, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, no worries, dude. And like fist bump him or something. But in that moment, God kind of, I don't know, he kind of he pushed me in a different direction. And so almost uncharacteristic of myself, even though I work in ministry, I don't normally talk like this. But I said, you know, I've just been shown so much grace and love by Christ that I have to keep spreading it. I promise that it's not because Jacob's like, mm, spiritual, right? Like, that's not, that's not how I talk normally. I'm like, ah, right? But in that moment, man, I just said it. And even as I said it, I was like, that actually makes sense. I'm the product of grace. I live because of grace. So I should live by grace. I should love grace. I should be extending it to all the people I see, not just desiring it for myself, but for all others. So this week, what I would encourage you guys, here in a moment, we're about to pray, about to sing a couple more songs. And as we're doing that, I would just encourage you, 
ask God to show you who needs grace in your life. If there's someone that you know that's been rejecting Christ over and over again, don't take this as ammunition and become a hyper-Calvinist and think, oh, well, I don't need to share Christ with anyone because it's up to God. No, like God uses us. We are the means by which God shares his gospel. And as long as someone's alive, there's hope. If there's life, there's hope. So your parent who keeps saying no, or your brother who keeps just rejecting, go after him. Show him that grace. Share that gospel with him over and over and over again. Think about the people in your lives who just seem hopeless, who are just frustrated, dealing with something tough. Ask God right now, how can you share some grace? How can you extend grace and love into their lives? So let's pray. Lord, God, we are so grateful for your grace. God, we acknowledge the fact that our salvation is not a product of our awesomeness or our words or our deeds. God, our salvation is entirely because of you. So Lord, let that be both a blessing in our hearts and God, a burden on our minds. If you would, take this moment right now, pray to God, ask him, who in your life is in desperate need of grace? Who can you be extending grace to? Even though they might deserve justice in your opinion, who can God use you to bring grace to? Let's pray again. God, Lord, we thank you for the gift of music. God, for the grace that you've shown us through worship. God, we do pray that our souls would be comforted. That God, even in the midst of harsh truths, that God, that we can trust that you're good. That God, even though we don't understand all your decisions, that God, even though we don't understand all the things that happen in this world, God, thank you that we can trust you. That your peace is like a river. So God, be with us this week. God, give us that peace. God, calm our souls. Lord, fill us with the grace that we desperately need to extend to those around us. Pray this all in your will. Amen.